welcome to episode 11 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And in this episode, we'll be talking ebooks versus books, <laughs> regular books, <laughs> um, and Nancy Mitford versus Evelyn Waugh. Um, more on that second topic, well, more on both topics, anon. But first, Rachel, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Simon. I'm just, you know, chilling out. It's January, got no money. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I know, I'm being a bit of a hermit at the moment. Well, reading uh, is free, that's something. Reading is free, which is always a joy. Um, and so is playing the piano, which I'm doing a lot of at the moment as well. Because I'm preparing for my exam, which is very frightening. Ooh, which exam? Well, I started playing the piano about six months ago, so I'm um, doing my grade three exam, which is a bit frightening. Oh, well done. Thanks. I'm going to fail spectacularly. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, bought some the latest grade eight pieces the other day. Oh. Um, having failed my grade eight piano back in the day, I thought <laughs> and I, I've no intention of retaking it. But um, yeah, don't do it. It'd be fun to get the pieces out and have a look at them. Uh, yeah, I, I was looking through the list of scales and things that I once knew, and I didn't even understand what they meant now. <laughs> I've just been doing some scales before we did this, and I can do the scales now, but the sight reading is... Uh, it's a tricky customer. <laughs> It'll be all right, I've got a month, so... Yeah, I mean, if you've only been playing for six months, it's like yeah. a whole sixth of the time you've been playing already. I know. How exciting. Yeah. So when you're not playing the piano, what are you reading at the moment? Oh, do you know, I've just um, started reading. Cause, you know, I'm doing this whole thing where I'm trying to read the books off that I've got, mm. which I said last time. So I am keeping my resolution so far. Mm, very good of me. Um, I'm reading In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Mm. Yeah. Um, I haven't got, I've only read the first chapter, but I already feel very sort of tense and stressed. Um, hmm. It's really well written. Have you read it? I have, yeah. Um I felt tense and stressed throughout, basically. <laughs> it is very well written. It's not my cup of tea at all. I only read it because my book group did it. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like it very much, but but I definitely agree that it's well written. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm looking forward to, to finishing it. And it's literally been sitting on my shelf for years, and it makes me feel guilty every time I look at it. So <laughs> Apparently, I had started it because I found a train ticket in there at, like, page 30. I was like, oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, nice. <laughs> I went to this place in 2012. So that's <laughs> that. How about you? What are you reading? Um, I am sort of reading lots of. Well, you know, I read lots of books at once, and I'm, mm. none of them hugely inspire me. I'm, well, I'm just finishing off um, Death on the Riviera by John Bude. Oh, um, another of the crime classics. It is indeed, yeah. Um, which is good fun. I'm enjoying that, but it's it's not particularly. Um, I don't know. The plot's not particularly brilliant, and <laughs> it took a very long time for there to be a death on the Riviera. I was, the book's probably about two hundred and thirty pages, and I was—I think it's about—I mean, spoilers, guys—but I think it was about page one hundred and fifty or one hundred and sixty before anyone died. That seems a bit shocking, really. You that wouldn't be nowadays, would it? Exactly. You need it. Page page one, paragraph two, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but I've just finished um, the book, um, Marjorie Sharp's book called The Eye of Love, which I did for uh, Jane at Beyond Read and Rock was doing Marjorie Sharp Day to celebrate her birthday. Um, and getting lots of people to read Marjorie Sharp. I remembered this about two days before, so mm -hmm. I took down the only one I had on my shelves here. Race through it. It's really fun. Have you read any Marjorie Sharp? Do you know what I haven't? I've I've often meant to, and I've seen 
books by her in charity shops and I think, oh, Simon said she's good. But um, no, I haven't. And I don't have any of her books. So I can't. Uh, I think you definitely like her. She's, she's sort of, she does these domestic tales but with this sort of wry, very funny, slightly satirical viewpoint on them. So the Eye of Love is basically like a, an old couple who split up and get back together, essentially. But um, but mostly seen, or partly seen, at least through the eyes of this very stolid young girl who doesn't care at all. Yeah. <laughs> she's not, not mean, she's like completely dispassionate and has got better things to do than worry about who her aunt's dating. But it's um, done very well. It's very funny. Sounds interesting. Sounds a bit like Barbara Pym. Yes, I think that would be a very good comparison. And if we hadn't already done <laughs> with someone else. There we are. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was fun. Um, and I'm just about to start The Age of Innocence. Oh, I love that book. My book group is doing that um, horribly soon, so I should start it soon. Although it is nice and short. Well, no, but once you get started, though, it's it's addictive. Yeah. And the film is really good. Okay, all set. A very rare example of a film that is incredibly faithful to the book. Okay. Yeah. Who's, who's in the film? Um, I think, I want to say, this could be a lie, um, Christian Bale plays Newton, and I think Winona Ryder's in it. Well, this is a cast I was not expecting. <laughs> and Michelle Pfeiffer, it's very... Um, yeah, I'm going to say well, mid-90s. <laughs> yes, I think yeah. it is, yeah, but it's very good. Oh, okay. It's E.G. Thornton, right? I'm not just making this up. It is indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, let's go on to topic one. Yeah. Um, and I said ebooks versus regular books earlier. I have heard people say ebooks or tree books, which I quite like as an expression. Oh, that is nice. I it's haven't heard that before. Um, yeah. Rather um, provocatively, I tend to say ebooks or real books, <laughs> <laughs> which will be a guide for those who <laughs> don't know which way I lean on this debate. <laughs> Although I suspect anyone who has read my blog, heard this podcast, or you know, seen me in the street will know precisely where I land on this. But the yeah. reason I asked us to do this debate is that things might be changing, Rachel. But before I give more on that it's tantalising not... tidbit, tell me your thoughts. Well, you know, I was staunchly against ebooks before I got a Kindle. <laughs> that was, I mean, yeah. that's That feels like there was, must have been a stage in between the two things. Yeah. Well, actually, the Kindle was a gift. Ah. So I didn't buy it for myself. But my dad got it for me because he was concerned about me carrying books um, and hurting my back, which is very sweet of oh, him. Oh, sweetie. Yes. So he said, oh, I've got you this Kindle thing. I was like, great. Um, and it actually, the first few months of having it, I was in love with it because I didn't realise how much free stuff you could get. Mm. Um, and that's the real benefit is all the free classics and um, also lots of some 99p books and where I was living when I had the Kindle the library was pretty rubbish and if I didn't want to buy a book that was new you can often just buy it for 99p on the Kindle read it doesn't take up any space on your shelf so if you don't like it doesn't matter and you know what's 99p you know but the problem I have at the moment is that I seem to have lost the charger for the Kindle, which now means I can't access any of the stuff on there. Cause oh, no. Right. Yeah, a bit tragic. But then, and then I thought to myself, well, this is the issue with the Kindle, because if you break it, if you lose the battery charger, if it, you know, something goes wrong with it, then you've lost all of that stuff. Whereas if you have a physical book, it's always going to be there on your shelf. Apart from if you have a fire or flood, obviously, but let's say <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, but um, 
I have to say, I do think for people like myself who commute on public transport or, you know, if you're going travelling and you want to take stuff with you, the portability of it is fantastic. And I wouldn't ever solely read books on the Kindle, but I think people who, um, no offence, Simon, who... Uh, <laughs> Where's this going? Never <laughs> use an e-reader. I don't believe in them. You know, it's awful. I don't, you know, we should have physical books. I think there is, in our modern day society, a real place for them. And considering the fact that, you know, you don't always want to keep a copy of everything you read. And a lot of us do live in smaller and smaller accommodation or move a lot these days, especially those of us in our 20s and early 30s. And do you really want to be lugging around a load of paperbacks with you? Probably not. So actually, for me, I think it's a really good storage facility. It's really good for traveling, but it would never replace physical books. And as someone who collects books, not just for the stories, but also because I love old books, I love the feel of them, I love the smell of them. No, that will never be something that I would want to give up having. But for, you know, the latest bestseller or something, and also really good for snobby people like me who don't want people to see that they're reading the latest bestseller, <laughs> um, the Kindle's great. So that's my opinion on that. Nice. Well, until recently, I would have been very hardline that, happy for other people to use them, but they sicken me. But, <laughs> but now, Rachel and dear audience, oh. I have recently read my first book on Kindle. <laughs> um, I know. Um, I say on Kindle. It was on the Kindle app on my phone. Um, oh. So I don't have How a Kindle. How did you find that, though? Because that must have been really small. Well, my phone is gargantuan. So oh. <laughs> you know, years ago, or a few years ago, they were trying to make phones as small as possible, and they're yeah. now trying to make them as big as possible. <laughs> it's, it's the size of a, a house. So, <laughs> so, I mean, so obviously it's smaller than a book, but, yeah. um, but it's not it's not unmanageably small. Um I did briefly own a Sony e-reader a long time ago when they very kindly sent me one to review, even though I said, FYI, I hate these, they still <laughs> sent me one. So I did read a book on that. But then I just read, um, I thought there's all these times when I'm just sort of sitting around, sitting somewhere for like a couple of minutes and I may not have a book with me or if I'm like waiting in a shopping queue or something, that's time where I could be, could be doing reading. So I quite slowly and gradually read a book called Christine, which is um, by Elizabeth von Arnim. Um, which he published yeah. under the pseudonym Alice Chumley. Ah. Um, the sort of Chumley that looks like it should be pronounced Colmundy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, because I was looking it up and it costs, I can't remember how much, but quite a lot to buy as a book and cost me 79p on Kindle. So I thought, having always been um, envious of those people who were able to get these obscure books for almost nothing, I thought, in this case, because I can't get it as a book, I will try it as an ebook. Um, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how I how I feel about it. I'm very conflicted now because it was <laughs> great to have access to that book, but I got to the end of it and it felt like I hadn't read a book. It felt like I had read a couple of emails and, or something on my phone. It just the whole experience felt different from reading a book to me. Okay, but at the same time, if you'd have bought the book and read it, would you have wanted to keep it? Uh, yes, I think so, in this case. <laughs> so that's, I mean, but now you know. That's true. You look for a copy to have on your shelf, whereas if you'd read it and thought, oh, actually, do you know what, it was all right, then you haven't spent, you know, 20 quid on something that's going to take up room on your shelf that you never use again. This is true. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing that has recently um, not made me particularly want to read more, but made me 
feel happier about them in general is that um, I finally read The Lark by E. Nesbitt, um, okay. which we talked about on the podcast a while ago when we did E. Nesbitt, um, which is the novel of hers that Scott at Furred Middlebrow had recommended that was impossible to get, um, except I happened to find it, find it in a Yeovil charity shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was really, really brilliant, and you would love it. Um, um, and it's impossible to buy, but you can get it for one seventy nine, along with twenty five of her other books in the Delphi Classics Complete Ines Pen. Really? So, so I've been encouraging everyone who, um, who has access to ebooks to download it there. And I'll, get, I'll quickly say what it's about because I loved it so much. So it's um, so these uh, these two girls who are just leaving school, so they're about eighteen, I think, um, and they have been left destitute. Unbeknownst to them, and by destitute I mean they own a house and have about five hundred pounds, which is you know, like <laughs> twenty grand or something in this in about into this um conversion. So they decide they have to earn their living and they originally decided to do this by selling flowers from their garden, but discover that they have a small garden and have run out of flowers. But fear not, there is a manor house nearby that also has lots of flowers, so they <laughs> they take over that somehow. Um Eventually, they take paying guests. It, the whole thing is very silly, but it's very, very funny. And the main character is called Jane. There is also a gentleman who, at first, she doesn't like, and his name is Mr. Rochester. Oh. Guess what happens to Jane and Mr. Rochester? <laughs> <laughs> will they get together? There's some, there's some likelihood that they will. Um, but it's very funny book. Um, much funnier than I was expecting from Nesbitt, actually. I, I knew she was quite witty, but I wasn't expecting it to be that funny. Um, and also just charming and lovely, and um, it deserves to be back in print. But until it's back in print, people can get it in the Delphi Classics Complete Unesbit, which I did then download to my phone because she had five or six other adult novels on there that were impossible to buy as books. Which has all taken me a long way from the topic, but I feel like everyone needs to read this book, so I just keep talking about it. Every possibility. But having said something in favour of ebooks, I want to now list off my usual reasons why I don't like them. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'll let you have a word in this podcast at some point, maybe towards the end. But um, <laughs> I'll just um, have a cup of tea. Yeah, if you want to go for a walk or something. <laughs> but I think the, one of the main things is what you're saying about um, not being able to have your library around you, not having to have a sustainable library, sustainable in the, in the sense of keeping, rather, I mean, it is obviously better for the environment this way, um, to have ebooks. But um, the books around me I have, I could easily own for another 50, 60 years if I live that long. Um, no one, even people who don't lose their charger, don't think they're going to keep their Kindle for 50 years or be obsolete I... in, you know, a decade at the most. Yeah. Um, it's harder to lend them to people. I know you sort of can, but. And the, I think the thing I'd really. Miss if I only read ebooks was browsing because I'm sure you can browse a store or something, but it, d- it doesn't compare to going into a bookshop and just looking through it, not knowing what you'll find. No, absolutely. And I think you know, in reality, real books are never going to be replaced by digital ones. I think I remember when the Kindle came out, everyone was like, "Well, this is the death knell for the printed word," <laughs> all the rest of it. It's like, well, it's really not, though, is it? Because you still peep exactly. You know, you can't really browse on Amazon in the same way that you can in a bookshop because I know it says like oh other people who bought this book bought this but you don't it's just not the same experience you can't pick it up look at the back flick through it you know it's not the same and it's also I'm a big one for seeing the light your library in your home as a sort of journey through your psyche 
Um, and I do, I mean, I am one of those people who does get rid of books. I know some people are really um, anti getting rid of books, even if they don't like them. But I only keep books that I know I, I love and either will definitely read again, will use for reference purposes or want to keep for sentimental reasons. Um, if I've read something, ruthless, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am quite ruthless with these things, and I do just get rid of books that I don't like because I think, well, I'm not going to. Why would I want to keep something that I don't like? If I, if it was like a, an ornament or something, I wouldn't keep it. So you know, or I a keep trying to persuade my um, housemate Kirsty that she should, because she, I don't think she's ever given away a book. Oh. Um, and my my favorite example of this is that she has a book that she hates, and that her dog ate the cover off. <laughs> And she's still clinging on. <laughs> so put it in the recycling bin. And it, I mean, at the very least, it's like get get out of the house. I mean, Kirsty, if you're listening, this is a wake up call. I'm shaming you in front of everyone. No, you can do what you like with your books. Um, and I think I'm somewhere between the two. I I I, I do get rid of books quite often, but um, perhaps not as ruthless as Rich, because I always think, oh, maybe I will want to reread this book, or maybe I will want to read this you book. Never will. You never will. <laughs> I have a thing now, I'm like, if it's five years since I've read it and I haven't picked it up again, then it's going. Because there's no point. I'm not going to read it again. And I've also give away books unread if I've got them for longer than five years because I'm not, unless I know that I actually really will definitely read them. I'm just waiting for the right moment. But other books I've bought and thought, oh, you know, such and such, such and such person recommended that or I saw it in the charity shop and thought, oh, I'll get that. You know, I still haven't read it after five years. I'm never going to read it. <laughs> so just get rid of it. That Marjorie Sharp book it. I'd had for a decade. So <laughs> <sighs> Yes, but also the thing is as well, I used to have this attitude that if I didn't buy it immediately, I would never find it again. Whereas actually you do, I do come across the same books more and more frequently now. Um, but I remember when you talked about um, Guard Your Daughters, and I thought, you know what, I have seen that book several times. And then I went back to the bookshop I saw it in and there were like three copies in there. So that attitude of I have to buy it now, otherwise I'll never see it again. Apart from my Dorothy Whipple autobiography, which I really will never have seen again. Um, things like that, you know, you don't I don't think you need to feel desperate about not getting them. And I think with the Internet as well, like Amazon buying things used and eBay and things, you will find those rarer titles. You can access them. So that need to stockpile perhaps isn't there as much. I do wonder with with ebooks, people who do say half their reading on ebooks, if there is a, a similar stockpiling um, mentality because they're so cheap. Yeah. If I, was, if I was reading a lot of ebooks, I'd just go buy buy everything by an author. I mean, I have bought the complete Inez bit in one click, um, and obviously it's not taking up physical space, but it's still increasing my tbr pile um exponentially i mean that's what happened to me my kindle when it's charged is um full with full with so many classics that i'm never gonna read i don't (laughs) i downloaded them um you know oh yeah i'm definitely gonna read the entire works of thomas hardy um and you know all these things i'm not i'm never gonna do that but it's the fact that i can i could if i wanted to that's the options there i suppose also with you e-readers as they are now it's if you do decide you want to delete a book it's quite easy to buy it again for yeah, not very exactly. much but, or, um, you know, for absolutely nothing simon which is part of the problem because if it's free you're like yeah i'll have it and then you realize you don't really want it <laughs> oh there's a lesson isn't there i know that's <laughs> somewhere but i do remember my friend mike i do remember genuinely believing when i spoke to him about five years ago i guess 
that books would be obsolete by the time his his baby he then had had grown up. <laughs> no one would have them singing. So that's not going to happen. Like even the secondhand book trade alone will. <laughs> I mean, I will single-handedly support that business. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think this, it was hardly a, a new discovery to say that we will have fewer books in bookshops, perhaps fewer new books published uh, in that form. But there's just there's no chance that the book. I mean, it's such a brilliant invention <laughs> that is. It's going to be around forever. There's been a, a million different deaths of the books over over the decades and centuries. Well, no, it's never going to happen. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Yes. And one thing I have noticed, actually, since e-books e came in, is that what has gone more from the market is cheap books or um, just sort of like poorly designed books. I feel like publishers since then have put a lot more effort into making really beautiful objects because that's obviously... The advantage that a book has over an ebook is that it is a physical object, and there's a lot of potential you can have that. So you get these lovely design series. You get, all the, um, I mean, folio. I think we're having a heyday. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I was going to say that there does seem to be a lot more re-releases of books with lovely sort of matching covers. I saw that all of Nancy Mitford's books have been republished the other day, um, with really nice covers with jacket with like the. Uh, they're paperbacks but they've got flaps inside and really beautiful covers and you know all of Jane Austen's books coming out with different covers so I think publishing is making more of an effort to say well we're not just selling stories we're selling objects that you can, can arrange on a shelf and they'll look really pretty as a set and things like that and you know Waterstones has completely rebranded itself and their bookshops are filled with displays of fancy books and things so you know people don't just buy books to I mean, some people do just buy books to read stories, but I think people who are real aficionados, they want, you know, something beautiful as well. And that's what an e-reader can never offer, because, you know, as nice as your Kindle cover might be... It's <laughs> You're never going to see it. <laughs> yes, I, I do find it weird that people... Um, <clears throat> the, the people who just read for, for the content, because I... I don't know, I just love books so much, as yeah. as books, as well as stories <laughs> I, mean, I need that combination yeah me too um speaking of reprints i get i'm so annoyed about how many times they reprint exactly the same books i saw some beautiful new i can't remember which publisher it was but a table of their beautiful looking reprints and went over and it's like austin dickens frankenstein yeah. it's like i've got all these books <laughs> yeah, i don't need another one yeah what? like i mean i get that they want people who are out of copyrights so you don't have to pay anyone but there's hundreds of Victorian novelists who could, you know, bring back into print. Lots of people who died more than 70 years ago who whose books deserve to be back in print. No one needs another copy of Frankenstein. I know. <laughs> Often the classics that they choose to fancy up are classics that you think, really, do people... It's like they've got those copies of Moby Dick at the moment because they've got, <laughs> you know, whale film out that looks ridiculous. Um, and I was like, seriously, how many people genuinely, like, read and love Moby Dick? I went to a talk the other day by Robert McCrum because um, he's written this hundred best books ever or something. Which and he, I think he said his favourite book was Moby Dick. So wow. Really? Yeah, and I know. It's so I boring. Why people just say these things to make themselves sound deep? I do, well, it just seemed quite annoying to me that he'd spent all his time in the Observer or Guardian or wherever it was doing um, his his hundred favourite books, and it was just the dullest list. It was all just like a hundred best classics. Like if if I'm seeing someone's list of 100 books, I want to see some personality in there, like some quirky tie choices. Do you know what? Step away from the canon. Exactly. Like no, I mean, if you only read books in the canon, I mean, how boring is that? 
I mean, this is getting onto a whole different topic. So before we get, we should note that down for a future episode. Thanks, <laughs> um, like Simon. Let's make a decision. Let's um, make a decision. I think I'm just going to keep ebooks. I don't want books anymore. Okay. Glad <laughs> I persuaded you, Simon. Obviously, that's not what I'm going for. So I'm going to go for keeping books with a measured acceptance of ebooks in emergencies. Yeah, I mean, I'm exactly the same. I will always prefer re- reading a real book, but I see a real place for ebooks. And I think, you know, with our increasingly peripatetic lifestyles, they're very useful. Oh, yes, and I, I do feel in some ways. We've probably not added a lot to the ebook versus book debate. Everyone knows all these arguments. But I just want an excuse to talk about the lark and get everyone to buy the Delphi complete Inez bit. Go and buy it now and read the lark. It's wonderful. Plug, plug. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am Inez bit and I'm getting royalties. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, one Ms. Rachel Fenn came up with a topic. I did. And... <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> Why not tell us about it? Um, well, I was thinking about two authors who would work well together. Um, we often go for, for authors of the same gender, and I thought, actually, let's mix this up. So I was thinking about authors from the same time period who write in a similar style and also who knew one another, and I came up with Nancy Mitford and Evening War, who happen to be two of my real favourites as writers, actually. Um so, yeah, and I think that they have very many similarities, but also quite a few key differences, which um, I will be willing to discuss. Oh, good. I'm but, glad. Yeah. <laughs> um, once, Simon, you have talked about what you think about um, Nancy Mitford and Evening Moore, because I know you haven't, might not have read as much Nancy Mitford as me. Yes, you're quite right. I'm probably not as much Evening War as you either. Um, I read... I think it's fair to say more about the Mitfords than I've actually yeah. read the Mitfords. So I've only read um, The Pursuit of Love and um, what's that um, one about the phony war? Oh, Wigs on the Green? No, Pigeon Pie. Pigeon oh, Pie. Pigeon Pie, yeah. Um, so I've only read those two. Um, with Evelyn War, I've probably read about five, I think, um, not including Brideshead Revisited, in fact, weirdly, oh. even though I bought it in the summer of 2004. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's there waiting for me. So see if I can remember what I've read by him. I've read um, The Loved One, Decline and Fall, Put Out More Flags, and Scoop. Ah. I think those are the only... Maybe another one, but those are the ones I can remember right now. Okay. Um, and The ones I haven't read, which is quite funny. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so, um, Nancy Mitford, I really enjoyed uh, The Pursuit of Love. I thought it was really fun. Um... And I read that a long time ago now, actually, and was like, I want to read loads more, and instead just got sidetracked reading about them. Yeah. Which, which, with that series, or two, three in that in that thing, is more or less the same, it seems, because everyone who writes about the Mitfords tells you everything that happens in her books. Yeah. Um, and Pigeon Pie, I thought, um, quite disturbing, actually. So, um, for those who don't know, it's, uh, and see if I can remember, it's basically about plotting and in um in the phony war um and she even wrote a little um little note at the beginning saying sorry i was so flippant about the the second world war when i wrote this not much had happened and now obviously it's <laughs> awful sars but you know enjoy <laughs> i think i'm quoting verbatim but um <laughs> oh yes before i talk about even war why don't why not say what you think about nance 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I adore Nancy Mitford, but I do think she's very much hit and miss. All her books are not equal. Um, for example, I think that The Pursuit of Love is absolutely hilarious and brilliant. And I found Love in the Cold Climate um, not as good. Um, yeah, and as it's its sequel, it sort of felt a bit stale, like she was running. And it also it's darker, a lot darker. So it doesn't have the the sort of light heart the same amount of light hearted humour because it's actually quite sad in places. Um and I really enjoyed Wigs on the Green, but again found it a little bit questionable morals wise, but then again you have to think about the context. What, what happens? Um I can't, I can't remember all of the details, but it's basically um kind of this girl who's marching around trying to convince everybody of her it's like she's a kind of a bit of a unity mitford oh no um so yeah it's a little bit questionable um morals wise i can't remember masses about it so i can't i don't want to say and then people say well it's not racist at all rachel so <laughs> it's very progressive it, it was good but it wasn't great it's a very it's, i think it was her first published novel so you know you have to give her a little bit of space on that one um and i love christmas pudding which is fantastic sort of christmas time one for christmas but also really just funny in its own right um and pigeon pie i really liked as well um so i just i find her she's very witty but also very clever in what she observes and her ability to create really believable characters who are caricatures and exaggerations very much but at the same time there's enough in them that is is truthful and makes you think of people you know who are like that she never goes too far to make them unrealistic um and she really conjures up this whole lifestyle of these people who you know like her who were just ridiculously wealthy um uh, and you know had no hold on the realities of most people's lives at all they lived in a completely different sphere um, but she acknowledges that. She's very aware of her own privilege. And I think that's something that makes what she writes about redeemable in a way, because she's writing about it from that ironic perspective. It's like she knows she's ridiculous and she knows her world is ridiculous and she enjoys mocking it. Um, so I just think she's and she, you know, her, her ability to make just send people up with the most ridiculous things that they say i just i find myself in absolute fits of laughter whenever i read her she's too funny and everything you'd think like oh it's 1930 so you know it won't transfer to now but it's completely um fresh still to a modern day reader and everything is very accessible so i just think she's fantastic it's like a romp everything you read of hers is just hilarious and brilliant and i think even in war some of his novels are like that but then he's also got a much darker side to him. And I think much more so than Nancy Mitford, which is a key difference between them. Yes, from my limited reading of the two, I do find um, even more a bit a bit difficult to take um, in terms of... I don't mind a little bit of, um, I guess, spiky humour or something, but the, the humour and even what often seems so mean-spirited... Yeah. Um, I found. I think the first one I read was "Put Out More Flags" because I thought it was such a brilliant title, like the solution to to any problem about is like just put, just put out more flags. Yeah, <laughs> it's great, and it's all about um, for those who don't know, it's all about uh, evacuees um, finding a place during. I guess it must be the Second World War, yeah. um, and sort of local busybodies in a provincial area trying to um, be the most patriotic. So, but, but there's one 
there's one very unkind leader. I don't remember any names of anyone in it, but he's he's trying to place <laughs> these um these children, these rough children from from London, and he d- he decides to put them in this home of these people who really love all their beautiful objects there, and he's getting malicious pleasure for the fact that he knows all their things will be destroyed. And I just couldn't cope with it. It just seems so unkind to me. I was like, this isn't funny. This is just nasty. <laughs> am, I, am I being too sensitive? I don't know. <laughs> I think he is, he is nasty in a way that I don't think Nancy McFord is. And also, he's some of his books, I remember reading A Handful of Dust, and it was just really, I just thought, unnecessarily sad. And there is a real sadness. Like, Brideshead Revisited, I mean, I know you haven't read it, but I'm sure you know the story. It's devastating, and there's a real kind of split personality to him. He'll write books that are just hilarious. I remember, I think Decline and Fall was one I found apps. I could not stop laughing. It's so funny. But at the same time, there's a tragedy beneath the surface. There are these tragic characters who are actually living these really quite sad and empty lives. Um, And I think that's the difference between him and um, Nancy Mitford, in that you always finish a Nancy Mitford you know, looking at the brighter side of life and it's funny and she remains on that light-hearted level even if she's discussing serious issues. But with Evelyn War, it's like he's... I think maybe because also, certainly towards the end of his life, he did become really quite religious... Well, not even towards the end of his life, perhaps throughout most of his life, actually, his adult life. He was very religious and I think those Catholic themes come across quite heavily in his work as well. And he's often thinking about death and the consequences of these things. Um and you know people getting their just desserts and stuff and he's kind of I think sometimes a little bit too extreme in his criticisms and um really nasty and nasty depictions of people um who just come across he just comes across as catty I think sometimes yeah I mean I love some cattiness EF Benson's nothing but catty and I love that but um (laughs) I think, in fact, you mentioned Decline of Fall, that um, I re- thought most of that was really funny. It was just the beginning, I thought, was that that poor man gets sent down from Oxford for something he didn't do, and just, like, his life is destroyed. Um, and it's just this sort of passing joke. <laughs> I just find it a bit tough to stomach, that sort of thing. I guess, I, I don't know, I don't mind flippancy in a novel. Um, and something like Ivy Conter-Burnett or someone who, who wore... Th- ruin someone's life in a half sentence without and move on to something else no. um, I can take I don't know I think it's because we, we see a sort of genuine emotional impact and at the same time aren't expected to have an emotional response as a reader yeah. if that makes it's sense very, yeah no I agree with that. that's exactly it it's a very cold and distant um, sort of narration in a sense in that you're not expected to get involved with these people or care about them um, it's you know, a very, there is, I mean, but you do, but at the same time, I remember, what did I read of his, the last one I read, I can't think what it's called now, um, but it was really, I think maybe Val, no, it was Val Bodies I read, and um, everybody was so sketchily drawn, and I remember one of the characters died, and mm. I thought, he's just killed her, and nobody in the novel cared. Mm, and because mm. nobody in the novel cared I didn't care and I thought this is awful because this girl is just like she's a young girl and she's just died for no reason at this party and everybody is just like oh well whatever I'm moving on with their lives and that How bizarre. it's yeah. bizarre but it's also his sort of criticism I suppose of his world that look how shallow we all are mm, um, mm. and that's sort of I, I really struggle with him because I think well you were part of that world and you're criticizing yeah. it 
even and but you're like it too it's kind of like F. Scott Fitzgerald in a way hmm well the one of his that I have really enjoyed which which not coincidentally is I think the least mean of the ones I read is The Loved One I really love that so um, it's about the funeral industry in America I think America um, and in fact it would make a very interesting comparison with a book I've not read <laughs> um, but you know about Jessica Mitford's yeah. American Way of Death yeah um, which I really want to read, but um, I've not yet I've come across in a bookshop <laughs> um, where she exposed what was going on in the, in the industry. Um, and I think, yes, in the love one, he sort of exposes both the money-grabbing nature of the funeral industry for humans and also for pets. <laughs> so um, it's a very, very funny book. And because the target of any sort of meanness is a, co- is a corporation or, or sort of an industry... Um, it felt much less painful to read. You could just enjoy the ridiculousness of what he sends up. Have you read that one? No. Uh, it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember all the details, but there is, there's a lot of... Well, the loved one is what is his mocking of what um, funeral directors refer to the dead person as. They would never say the dead person. They'll always say the loved one. Oh, right. Um, and that's where that comes from. Oh, <laughs> so. interesting. But I think um, they're both really really interesting examples of a very specific time period and a very specific class um and it's interesting how they both approach their society and how you know nancy mitford chooses to send it up in a light-hearted way whereas evelyn war much darker and, and nastier and i wonder i would think i mean i haven't read much about him or about reacting to him at the time but i always think i wonder how people felt reading this because it's clear that he's writing about particular people um, and people could probably have recognised themselves in his descriptions. Um, and I would be interested to find out more about how people responded at the time. Yeah, um, I, I've not read, although I do own, uh, the letters of Evelyn Warren and Nancy Mitford. Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> have you read it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously I do. I've got so many books about the Mitfords. <laughs> um, but, but maybe they talk about it in there. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can find out for us when you get I'll, to it in 10 years time <laughs> I'll let you know um, <laughs> uh, yes as, um, as I said at the beginning I've certainly read a lot about the Mitfords and they have become this uh, cult I mean very early they were cult icons during their own lifetime yeah. um, in fact before, before any of them had done anything I think probably other than just be a bit wild but um, the book that really started it off for me was one that my friends Lucy and Claire got for me, which was um, The Letters of Them All, which is just a phenomenal book. It's so fascinating, just in, sociologically as well as for who they were specifically, going through decades of English life, seeing how things change. And slightly macabre, because it's got letters between all six of them, um, and... One by one, they die. <laughs> you get to, like the last two rising to each other, and then then there were none. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a fascinating and engrossing read. Um, I think actually the most fascinating section in it is is Unity's letters, um, because of course she was a Nazi, or she shot herself in the head the day war was declared, and didn't die. But you immediately see this bizarre difference in her letters where the the last one before she shot herself she's this cold um, ruthless person with this um, very strong and obviously abhorrent ideology 
Um, and immediately after she, she regressed to being, I think the, the book says about 12 years old mentality, where all, suddenly every letter is like a dozen exclamation marks and talking about her new hat and all, all these sorts of very like frivolous and excitable preteen, which you, you, you can read somewhere saying this is what she was like, but seeing the effect on her letters was, really brings it home. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Mm. Um, but yes, that and many books by and about the Mitfords is my is my chief um, <laughs> meeting them, and my heart belongs to Debo mostly. So. Yes, I'm very sad to hear that she's no longer with us. It is very sad. Never got to meet him. Never got to meet him. Well, yeah. I mean, I think for me, I'm just trying to think who I would take or leave. Um, I think I would probably read Nancy Mitford over it even more, though I have to say I did, Bryce had revisited as one of my favourite novels. But then so is The Pursuit of Love, so I just can't choose between. Um, no, I would read The Pursuit of Love over Bryce had revisited, I think. I am, I'm feeling quite uninformed in this making this decision. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and because I, we haven't talked about all that many of even was novels, but I also really like Scoop, and I, f- I feel like he's probably the better writer. But oh yeah, he's um, undoubtedly the better writer, and I think Brighthead Visited is the most wonderful, outstanding novel. And if you haven't read it, people listening, you definitely should. It's about so much more than his other novels. It's much deeper and much more about the state of society as well as people. So sorry, interrupted. No, no, please. Uh, that's good. Um, I bought it the summer before I went to Oxford in the intention of reading the sort of quintessential Oxford novel, but oh well, one day. Um, <laughs> You'll get that. Uh, yeah. Um, with the, am I, obviously, am I allowed to keep Nancy Mitford's life, even if I don't have her, her fiction? Yes, you can. <laughs> in which case, I'll pick even more, and that way I can still read my books about the sisters um, in every possible permutation. <laughs> and, <laughs> And that way, because they all write about her fiction anyway, I can just read about her fiction. And I feel like you've read it, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like because... people who watch Jane Austen adaptations. And now I feel terrible. But, but, I mean, her books were very autobiographical, or some of her books were very autobiographical, weren't they? Yeah. So, so essentially I'm reading her books just by someone else. Oh, I, I feel like the most terrible... I feel like my dad, when he, tell, he says that he's read a book, when it turns out he heard someone mention it on Woman's Hour or something. But um, I will still stick with Even More because um, that way I've got a chance to read Brideshead Revisited finally. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love it. <laughs> um, and I just, I'm just i hoping that the ones I've not read are nicer than the ones I have read. <laughs> I think they are, yeah. So you're all right. Yeah, a few. Good. <laughs> um, cool. Well, this has been quite a short episode. I, mean, I thought we'd lose to get through, but that's good. Yeah, Everyone can go and read a book for the five or ten minutes and we've spared them. <laughs> yeah. And as always, we have no idea what we're doing next time. So... No. Although, actually, I did spend some time today making notes that I've since oh, lost. Okay. But, you know, I've got a whole bunch of ideas for you, Rachel. I'll send them along to you in, in due course. Sick. Can't wait. That means, you know, it took me a good four or five months to come up with an idea, so it'll be a while. Until... <laughs> well, we're good to go for like another year based off my notes. So we... oh, <laughs> okay. I I just, but maybe we are actually. I've made. I've just started. I said I just started a memo pad on my phone. Lots of ideas on that. You embracing technology. I know. Look, I'm the Renaissance man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh dear. But yes, as always, we'd love to know what you would pick from ebooks or um, books, <laughs> and even more Nancy Whitford, and suggestions for things to read that I, I or Rachel um, haven't read from those last two. Yeah. You can let us know in the comments, or you can, you know, email me, simonthomasoxford.gmail.com, tweet me, stuck underscore in a book, go to Rachel's blog at Booksnob. Yeah. Um, why not leave us a review on iTunes? That's what people say at the end of podcasts, I've learned. So. <laughs> is that what it is? Um, I mean, apparently... With the <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I just got addicted to a podcast about the soap opera Neighbours, and they always say it. <laughs> if anyone wants to listen to the podcast Neighbours, I can have <laughs> <to> recommend it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Isn't it brilliant? The whole thing is brilliant. But it begins with the title, it just gets better from there. Okay. <laughs> Oh dear. Right, let's draw a line. Okay. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Bye. <laughs>